But I tell you, I really have appreciated uh, and enjoyed these last several weeks. I've learned a lot. I mean, these things that we're studying, you know, I've kind of known. But as we dive deep into it, I'm like, hmm, it just your faith just really grows. And uh, it's been a blessing to me to go through Titus. And we've learned that the blueprint for the church when it comes to how it's governed is by what? By plurality of godly qualified men. These are called elders. We've also learned that there are several names attributed to that office. As we spoke about last week, several, several names. It's the same person. Same person. They have the same responsibilities. And I remember uh, when I was growing up, I was raised in church uh, probably all the way to the fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade before I kind of got out of church. My mom and daddy would take over my daddy would. And I remember, and I was going to this specific denomination, and as we would sit in the foyer before we walk into the sanctuary, there was this big black board, and I, and I would see all these names. And it would be uh, trustees, and I'd see all, a lot of people's names, and it would be a, then would have a board of elders. And as I'm reflecting and looking back, and I remember a lot of who these people were, this was the governing body of that church. But really, they weren't elders as what we're seeing in Scripture here. But yet, they, they kind of ruled that church. And even this specific congregation, actually, they had to submit an answer to even another group of people, you know, somewhere off. And that's kind of what I was used to. So anyway, I got saved in the Southern Baptist Church. And uh, that's been about 30 years ago. Most Southern Baptists churches work kind of the same way around here. Not all of them, but most of them do. You have a, normally you have a pastor, and sometimes he's called a lead pastor or a senior pastor. Depending on how big the church is, they may have an associate pastor, or they may have a youth pastor. Then you have a children's pastor. Then you have sometimes the the minister of music. He's called a worship pastor. Now what I want you to do, I want, I want you to put this word behind those, those titles again. Okay? So we have a, a lead elder. Then we have an associate elder. Then we have a children's elder. And then we have a worship elder. Doesn't sound right, does it? That's exactly what it is. And over the years, what we've done is we've kind of grade this wordage, and we, we always say this here, words have meaning. So when you say pastor, that means elder, bishop, and those other three words that Blake talked about. Like that, it means the exact same thing. So that's kind of what I grew up under, and we, we've grayed the line over the years, and in all reality, there is no lead pastor. In reality, if we stuck to biblical definitions and operated uh, correctly, the worship elder and the children's elder are on the exact same level as the man who's up here behind the pulpit as the preaching elder. Same, same level. We just kind of got off track over the years. And as Blake said last week, many times in churches, and we're kind of, I don't know what your upbringing is. Mine's been in a Baptist church. Uh, A lot of times what you see, you see deacons functioning as elders, 
which there's a problem with that, and basically it's not biblical. Sometimes you see the pastors answering to the deacon body, or the pastor may answer to some other committee, uh, and that committee would have the, the final say-so matters, but that too, that's not biblical. Sometimes you see uh, fellowships where the actual people, the sheep uh, of the congregation, who they're ultimately responsible for the direction and the decisions, everything that goes on in that church. And there's, there's a problem with that. It's not biblical. <laughs> so, and, uh, and you can ask most preachers, and they will tell you this. Most, there are people in your congregation that we pray and hope that this would be the truth, that they were regenerate, they had the Spirit of God, and they knew the Lord. Most of the time, within your fellowship, you have people who, who are void of the Spirit of God, who are dead in sins and trespasses, and then you have those same people whose names on a membership row, they're, on, they're, they're in church, but they're just not in Christ. And so what you have, you have people who, in all reality, according to Scripture, are dead in sin, uh, under the wrath of God, God's enemy, now are determining the direction that the church should go. You can't do that. So that's why what we're doing here is we want to go slow and uh, just kind of say what the Bible says and live out what uh, the Bible says. The elders hold 100% of the responsibility that goes on in the matters of the church. God holds them responsible as under-shepherds of the flock that has been allotted to their care. So the elder, no matter at the end of the day, no matter what goes on, he's held responsible. Just like in my home, God holds me responsible for my house, period. It's not Cindy, it's Phil. She's a wise woman. I get a lot of counsel from her. She's smart. And when we, we come up with a matter of, of where there's got to be some type of decision made, we discuss that. At the end of the day, when it comes to her stewarding my house, I'm held accountable for that. In saying that, I probably should have listened to her counsel many times in my life. We would be a lot better off. But, but, but again, it all goes back on me. And so... Same way with the church and same way with, with elders. And that is a heavy, heavy weight and responsibility for a single man to bear. And that's why I think you see God's plan for his church is for many men to carry that load. It's for the benefit of the man, but also it benefits the congregation. So we'll get there in a minute, but if you want to go ahead and turn to First Peter chapter 5. We're going to be looking at in a minute about the function of elders. We, we haven't covered that topic. But uh, anyway, a few years ago, I was speaking to a group of people at another place. It was, it was a, another congregation. And I said to those people there, I said, and it was part of my message. I said, I bet, it was kind of on this topic. I said, I bet most of you driving to church today did not pass a sheep farm where you saw an a actual shepherds out there shepherding the sheep. I can say with a surety, you know, where we live, that's just not going to happen. Well, I can't say that anymore. <laughs> Every time I leave my house, I'm driving by and I look over. If I'm going to town, there's a sheep farm right there. And sometimes I see the shepherds out there 
handling the sheep. I saw one of the shepherds one day carrying a sheep, Elizabeth. But anyway, but the Bartels, they have, they actually have a sheep farm and it's beautiful. And uh, so I can't, I can't say that anymore. They, and he's going to be fully aware. They will be fully aware when we talk about sheep, why shepherds, they need a sheep because sheep die. Sheep die without shepherds. Sheep die without shepherds. Sheep is a good proof that evolution is not true. If evolution was true, okay, there would be no sheep on the planet today. They would not. Evolution is the survival of the fittest. fittest. A sheep can't exist without a shepherd. A sheep is totally dependent on a shepherd in order to live. That amazes me. That's what God calls us, his children. We're his sheep. You know, and, and as we're going to see, they got some issues, but that's what we're called. We're called a sheep. If we we're going to start a baseball team here in Covington, it's not going to be the fighting sheep or the Covington sheep. Why? Because they're defenseless. They're timid. They have no sense of direction. They give up when they, when they face obstacles. And the list goes on and on. So since we're called sheep, and since we're called God's flock, let's really understand uh, the total dependence that, that sheep have on, on a shepherd. Okay? So we're just going to go through some of these uh, because that's what, that's what we're... Uh, uh, that's the, the word picture or illustration or visual that are, that are given. Sheep uh, can't smell water, by the way. They can't smell water. Most animals know where water is. I can assure you, uh, I'm speaking for Blake Shankle, there are no ducks in the area because there's no water in the area. If there was water in the area, there would be ducks in the area. Ducks know where water's at. I live in Garland. And uh, over the last eight or ten years, I've watched this guy. I brought a picture, by the way. You can pull that picture up. <laughs> Look at this right here. Look at this. That's a big old turtle. See, I just got one finger. I try to rub him. He cut four fingers off when I try to rub him. But that's a big old snapping tur- turtle. On my street for the last seven, eight, nine years, I have run into this fellow. And what he's doing, he's over at a watering hole behind this man's house. He makes this journey 150 yards over, where? To another watering hole. Who told him how to do that? Hey, sheep can't do that. They have absolutely, they can, a sheep, there could be a watering hole on the other side of that wall right there. They're not going to find it. They have no sense of smell. Most animals can get to water. Sheep cannot do that. Sheep can't do it. They, they, they can't uh, be allowed to wander too far from their own pasture. They have no sense of a watering hole. They can't tell if it's nearby. They, they will simply die of thirst unless they're taken to water. If a sheep gets away from his home, only a short distance, they're lost. They have no instinct to find their way back. Uh, some of you probably have, have had a stray dog show up at your house. You might give them a, feel sorry for the dog, give them something to eat and say, it's time for you to go. You put that dog in a car, you take him five miles down the road, you wake up next day, he's in your, he's in your yard again. They have a sense of direction. They know where food is. They know where you are and they're going to find you. Sheep 
They're not going to do that. They cannot, they cannot find their way back. They have no sense of direction. When they're, in, when they're in unfamiliar territory, sometimes they just simply walk in circles. Uh, they're beautiful animals, by the way. If you came to the Christmas parade, the Bartels brought a couple sheep, sheep up here. I mean, they're just, they melted my heart. I'm sitting there thinking, and they, they were holding these sheep and just beautiful animals. And the way they were, I'm not going to try to sound like a sheep, but it was so sweet. I'm like, who in the world could ever kill one of these things? You know, they're just beautiful animals. We say they're stupid, but they're actually not. They're not stupid. They're, they're quite intelligent. But sometimes under certain circumstances, and when they get out of their environment, they're, they're helpless. And on the earth today, there's estimated about a billion sheep on the planet. So if you got a, that many sheep, you have to have thousands of shepherds. Why? Because if those sheep don't have shepherds, then those sheep will starve to death. If a sheep gets away from the fold, uh, if, if a sheep gets away from the foe, the shepherd will go after him because he knows if he don't that this sheep will never ever be able to find his way back. And therefore he's, he's vulnerable to attack. When Jesus saw the crowds, he says they were hungry, they were confused, they were disoriented. And he said they were like sheep without a shepherd, totally lost, didn't know their way back. And there was no one to lead them to water, to lead them to food and to lead them home. When the prophet Isaiah wanted to describe lost men, he selected sheep, and this is what he said. All we like, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So a sheep, when a sheep is lost, he's very vulnerable. Sheep are followers. That's important. They're followers. Followers. If a sheep begins to walk out in a certain direction, many times the other ones will simply Follow that sheep and have no clue where that sheep is going. They will just simply follow for no, no reason whatsoever. In New Zealand, that's where you're going to find a, a lot of sheep. There's, there's tons of sheep in New Zealand. That's where a lot of this, you get this beautiful picture of a shepherding happening. But every year there's millions taken to slaughter every year to the market. And there's this, and, and the way that they do this, and this is what I've read, is they have a, Y'all might can educate me. There's a male castrated uh, sheep, uh, yeah, or a goat. And what this what this goat would do is there's sheep out here in this pasture. He walks out amongst those sheep. What do sheep do? They follow. Where do they follow him? Into this big room. And then that and that that it's called a Judas sheep, by the way. It walks through there through that area. Goes out the back door. Door shut. Sheep are killed. He goes back and he gets. More sheep. So sheep are easily led astray. They have to have clean water. They have to have pure water. Water that's not too stagnant and filled with potential disease. They have to have water that's not too cold, not too hot. They have to have water that's not moving very rapidly. They need to be led, as the psalmist said, beside the still waters. Not stagnant. The water must be very close so it can be easily found and made easy to drink. Sheep are dependent on a shepherd. If sheep are grazing in a field, what they'll do, if they're here eating in this field, they'll just keep eating. And they'll eat until it's all gone. And then they'll start eating the dirt. They just will eat anything. They can't tell 
a poisonous plant from a good plant. So they'll sit there and eat things that will actually kill them. They have a great need for a shepherd. a shepherd. A shepherd who is careful, thoughtful, watchful, knowledgeable, wise. A shepherd who plans, provides, pastures, protects his sheep. If he doesn't do his job, these sheep die. And they're, I don't know, and I'm just reading, I don't have sheep, so I'm just reading what they say. They actually, and, and y'all can attest to this, are there different kinds of sheep, by the way? Okay. Do, do, does your sheep produce oily skin? They do. All right, so they produce oily skin, which means they get very nasty, stained. Uh, insects can get on them, things stick to them. Uh, and then they grow, they have to be cut. If they're not cut and they've got all this oil and things stick to them, they, in all reality, uh, can uh, get impacted and can't, I was going to say sheep use the bathroom, but they can't, they can't get rid of their waste and, and they die. So they have, to be, they have to be cared for. They're defenseless. When they're attacked, they don't kick, bite, jump, or run. They just stand there and die. So when a predator comes, when a predator comes, what do they do? Most of the time, what do they do? They just huddle together. And the wolf walks around and decides which one he wants first. They must have a shepherd. They must be guarded. And this is why Christ uses this imagery to describe, to describe how this church is to function. And let me say, this, this picture and imagery of shepherding is nothing new for God's people. We talked about that in past sermons. Israel had shepherds that also led God's flock. And if you know, uh, follow Israel's history, you can see that their shepherds ultimately failed. Don't turn there. I'll just read it. It's in Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus, thus says the Lord God, all shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. Think about this as I read it. Okay? And just think about our life, our culture. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because they were, because there was no shepherd. And they became food for the wild beast. My sheep were scattered. They were scattered all over the mountains and all in every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or to seek for them. And you would think after in this Old Testament, Old Covenant, that they would understand this, these shepherds of Israel, that they would receive the rebuke. But they did not because when Jesus arrived on the scene, they were not even better. There were leadership in Israel. 
There were false shepherds also. In Matthew 23, 13, it says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. Because Israel had a system of rule. And who ruled them was these leaders, these Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. They, they were responsible to do things, but they did not do that. It says, You hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. If you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when it becomes a proselyte, which means converted to their system, you make him twice as much the child of hell as yourselves. They were the leadership of Israel. And as time goes, we see... uh, uh, those those shepherds of Israel utterly failed. The church was born at Pentecost. You remember that day at Pentecost? 3,000 people saved on do, day one. And that is the first time in history you can actually say that everybody that was in church was in Christ. That's the only time we could ever say that, by the way. And that number was growing rapidly. And it's impossible for those 12 men that God chose, those apostles, those foundations, it was impossible for them to shepherd thousands of sheep. And this number is going to grow. And if you read Acts, it grows quick. It grows by thousands as time goes. There's no way they can do that. And that's not God's plan anyway. Because we see in that transition period, there's a transition from apostles, because there's only so many of those, you have these elders come in, and working with the apostles, they're, they're working together. They're still apostles, there's elders. And then the, eventually these apostles die off, and what do you have? You have, these, you have these elders here. That's God's plan for his church. But one thing we've learned, history repeats itself. It doesn't take long for false shepherds to arise within the church. These shepherds, what do they do? They wear the clothing of sheep. And Acts says, we read last week, says the wolves are coming. And it didn't take long for them to arrive. Jude 3 says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our Lord, our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to be clear, and you got to understand this. Wolves... Look and smell like sheep. They don't walk in. And when we think, when it says ravenous wolves, what do you think about? Man, that was, he was a ravenous wolf. I think of somebody busting them doors with a, with a bat, walking around, killing the Christians, and just a ravenous, mean wolf. No. It could be a 90-year-old man sitting right there in that seat. Timid, soft, old, close to death. But he brings in false teaching. He may be deceived himself. Or he may be deceiving and know he's... But he is a ravenous wolf. It could be a little old lady. Same age, nine years old. Oh, she's so sweet. She's a ravenous wolf. Why? Because she's teaching contradictory to what God says. So we want to be very, very careful with that. This is why the Word of God is so important 
as we're going to see in coming weeks, we're going to see in coming, in coming weeks, one of the qualifications for an elder is this, verse 9 of chapter 1. He must hold firm to the tr- trustworthy word as taught so that, I, if you're not coming to class, come to class. So that, Hannah Claus, so that, right? So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. What else does he do? And also rebuke those who contradict it. He's got to do this, and he's got to be able to do that. And I'm very grateful for those in my life because, you know, I've been saved for 30 years, and I have... Not on purpose, but I've said things that's not true. I'm sure, John, you probably have. I know Blake has. <laughs> We've been through that. He's like, hey, are you are you glad as well as I, as well as John and everybody else, that we were corrected by the grace of God because we don't want to be wrong? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But sheep are easily led astray. The shepherd must know the word of God. And be able to contradict those who oppose it. He must know uh, scripture enough to be able to rebuke, correct anyone who would teach contrary to his ways. In saying that, just because you're wrong don't, don't, does not mean you're a false teacher. I mean, if you teach falsely, that's false. That don't mean you're a heretic. Remember Priscilla and Aquila, they all, this guy was a, a, a good man. He was off a little bit. He was... He, Priscilla and Aquila corrected this individual. He, he got it right, and that's a good thing. They must, shepherds must protect. Now, I'm not an elder, and I've taught, I've taught over the years, and, and I've got many things wrong, and I didn't intentionally do that on purpose. My main issue was I didn't take the class that we take every day. I was put in positions when I shouldn't have been put in positions, I was teaching. When I shouldn't have been teaching, I was a deacon. When I shouldn't have been a deacon, and really, I, those things happened because there just really wasn't a lot of strong leadership and government and adhering to Scripture as far as what those jobs entail. So, by God's grace, we want to make sure we do things right here. And uh, we're going to move, at our church, we're going to move in the point and direction the appointing of elders, and uh, but we're not elders. Okay, and I'm going to talk about that at the end. You're at a church that, in reality, has no elders. Okay, but what we do have at this specific time is uh, John and Blake and myself. We try to every week, either on a Zoom call or in person, we meet and we discuss the scriptures. We discuss what Phil's going to talk today. We discuss what Blake taught last week and what John taught the week prior. We do this for several reasons. It's because they like they have great insight. You know, if they're speaking on a specific passage, they have great insight and have great input, right? And that's how that works. We discuss that. But also it protects us. Why? Phil as I've already said, can get it wrong. And I've got two men right here that's going to make sure that I'm right. Now, like I said, I'm not perfect. At the end of the day, there still may be something off of here, but if I'm, that really should not be the case if I'm behind this pulpit. So what we do is we meet, we discuss. That keeps us accountable. That keeps uh, 
The message has to filter through three men who love God, who love his word. Before it ever gets to you, it has to filter through that. That's kind of how we operate here uh, every week because I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. And if, if you're not careful and you see this happening, if, uh, if, I had, if I had an issue in the week with somebody here, uh, with uh, Mark here, if I had an issue with Mark, I could use this pulpit to tailor a message to aim directly at Mark's eyes. But when you have men who work through the text, who let's say what it says, not say what you wanted to say to deal with Mark on the first row. So there's protection here as, as, uh, and how we operate because the pulpit can be abused. It can be used with the wrong motive in a very fleshly way. And one of the, one of the great things about expository preaching is that kind of helps with that, keeps you on track. You know, we're saying what God says. We're not going to deviate and get off on some other issue, fleshly issue, or not anything that has anything to do with the Scripture. As already mentioned, there are no COs in the church. The church is, is organized, but it's not a business. It's not layers of management where we see some elders and pastors having more say-so than others. This is why a plurality of, of elders is so wonderful because no one man has all the spiritual gifts and knows everything about every situation. Again, let me give you an example. Just pretend that I was an elder. Blake and John were elders, okay? Let's just say there was a couple in the church who, who was going through major marital problems, okay? And if we were elders, we know how to divide the word rightly. We know how to instruct, rebuke. We, we know all these things, and any one of us three could actually handle that situation. But if you've been around us long, you know one out of the three excels in that. You know, John excels and gifted and is passionate about the family, about the husbands and wives. So therefore, John will probably, with, with us, but mainly him, handle that situation. And likewise, with other issues that may ride up in the church, not one man is gifted in every area that he needs to be gifted in in order to shepherd all of God's sheep. I think that's why you see a plurality. Another reason you see a plurality. One man, and this is the danger, one man can be wrong. I like, or we see when, 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 when Peter, the apostle, Peter the apostle, what did he do? He got off track. God's chosen apostle, the little rock, gets off track. In Galatians 2.11 Paul's got to go talk to him, one of the elders. In verse 11, chapter 2, it says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, that's is Peter, I opposed him to his face, I being Paul, because he stood condemned. For certain men came from, from James. He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing, fearing the circumcision party. We hear about them in Titus. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step 
with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas, before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter got off track. Men are sinful people. We can get off track. And Paul, the last apostle, the last one appointed, goes to Peter, who is the, the main speaker of the twelve, and holds him accountable. That's how it works. If Peter had all the say-so without any accountability in, in any of those matters, then he would be actually opposed to God's word. So we want to be careful. We want to lay the ground work here at Grace. And there can be a elder here and a pastor here. But by God's grace, as we move forward, there will never be, by God's grace, the elder. There always will be a plurality because that's clearly, clearly what Scripture teaches. I've known that all my life. But as I study, I'm like, it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. All right, Peter, chapter 5, okay? Well, make sure you turn there. It uses a word, I think, that describes this elder in the broadest way. Uh, an elder is a shepherd, a shepherd. And from these categories flow the responsibilities of that office. So when we think about shepherd, you know, there's three big words that come up, all right? That he, he protects... He feeds, he leads. Of course, you, he, when, you, when you read about this plan of under-shepherds for God's people, Christ is the shepherd. It's just so beautiful. It's so beautiful. But he, but he, he protects, he leads, he feeds. In verse 1 of, of 5 it says, I urge, I urge elders among you as your fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and one who is a fellow partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Okay, what did we learn in class today? All right, some translations may have it different. I went to the Greek, the word is there. Therefore, anytime you see the word therefore, what do we need to do? Or hey, if we see a conjunction or a but or whatever, we need to go back and, and look at what? The context. So just flip back just a hair. I'm not going to exegete this. I just want to read it. Chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Grace, hear me out. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you. Why, Grace? For your testing. Don't be surprised as though something strange was happening to you. But to the degree that one shares the sufferings of Christ, grace, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory, you may also rejoice and be overjoyed. Grace, if you're in... Now, when I say grace, no, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> Hear me out. But it's applicable to us. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, guess what? You're blessed because the spirit of the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Okay? 
But, oh, we learned about that word this morning. Contrast. But, if anyone suffers as a Christian, here's the deal. Here's the deal. He is not to be ashamed. But he is to glorify God in his name. For, is a time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first... What will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And it's with great difficulty that the righteous is saved. What will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God are to entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So just as these churches here are to prepare for these different trials and suffering, guess what? We should also. We are going to suffer also. We're going to be persecuted also. But we want to make sure if that happens here, we do it not because we've done something wrong, but because we are doing what God says and doing what is right. And I'm going to tell you something. And I told my wife earlier on, uh, you know, if we really, really, really adhere to God's word we study it, we obey it, and by God's grace, we try to the best of our ability to live through it and not be hypocrites. And, you know, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. You're going to be persecuted. But what happens? You're blessed. You're blessed. Make sure it's for the right thing and not the wrong thing. But Satan and his demonic beings, they don't like, they don't like that at all. Their target's on you. Now, if you sin as a here, if a sheep, uh, sheep uh, sins, what's going to happen that afternoon on Facebook is it'll make its rounds for a brief time. You know, be you know some gossip going on. But if a pastor sins, a shepherd, and has a simple a lifestyle, that's going to make Facebook. That's going to make the worldwide web, and you're going to be all over the world. So. You take out the pastor, you take out the shepherds, and it affects the flock. The devil knows that. The demons know that. Some of you old cats in here might remember Jim Baker, the 700 Club. Y'all remember him? John, you remember? You're too young, aren't you? <laughs> Jim Baker, the 700 Club. It was big back in the day. It was the main TV Christian program. And he got big and millions and millions of dollars and just massive. There's no accountability. He, he committed some sexual sin. The church was crushed, was devastated. They filed bankruptcy. There's another guy I was watching the other night when I was uh, looking at TV. And this is, hear me out, Jimmy Swagger, who was an elder. He was caught with prostitutes. It's on film, by the way. It's not, it's not hearsay. The devastated the church. I mean, it was, it was all over media. The name of Christ was just brought down. But what do we see? And he did this on multiple times. He's still pastoring. I love to hear him sing. And he has a real passion when he preaches. But according to God's word, he's disqualified. Now, when I say that, 
when I say that, because this is a well-known name that many people love. You know what that does? Ooh, that stinks. Bill, chill out, man. You're a little judgmental. That's a little harsh for you to say that. And the reason why that happens like that, because we're so far removed from what Scripture says that we hate it when somebody states the truth that, and I'm not going to catch flack for this, but Jimmy Swagger, you cannot be an elder. You can't pastor a church. You're not a one-woman man. You can't have, I didn't say that. It's what the Bible says. And there's no other scripture to overturn what it's already proclaimed. So, yeah, we'll, we'll take some flack. When we, when we stand and preach through this, we will, we're going to take flack for that. Blake said last week, it says, in Acts 20, it says, be on, your, be on guard for yourselves. And, conjunction, for the flock of God. Wolves are coming. They're coming from without. They're coming within. But be on guard for yourselves. Home for yourselves. All right. I'm going to try to fast forward a little bit. I told John and, and Blake this. And I didn't hear this. I mean, this isn't original with me, but it's still a fact. Uh, king David, the king of Israel, he could be the king of Israel, but if he were here today, he would not be qualified to be a pastor. Why? Because he's not a one-woman man. That's just the facts. It's, 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 it sounds harsh, but it's true. And when we gray the line, what we're doing is, I think, what, I think so few people are, do not meet the biblical qualifications, not only for elder, but for deacon, that we just kind of gray those lines and, and overlook that stuff. Because nobody can meet that, you know. And yeah, uh, Mark there—he's he, an elder, but he had an affair. He stepped down over a period of time, and they got reconciled, and they're back together. They love each other, and and so now that he's been through this, he can relate to even what some of these people. That's going to make him a better pastor. I'm sorry, he can't be a pastor. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And the churches maybe are in the situation they are because we're not adhering to God's, God's word on, on the requirements. I exhort, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, a partaker also of the glory that is revealed. This word exhort is parakaleo. It means to call to one's side, instruct, strengthen, and to teach. It says, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. That's interesting. This is, who is this? This is Peter. I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. And if we go back to 1 Peter 1, right at the beginning, he's an elder, but also what? He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. So the audience here is the elect exile, several churches. He calls himself an elder, but he's also an apostle. We've already learned that God chose the original apostles and Paul being the last one. But here Peter recognizes and states the fact that he is a, an elder. That's, that's really neat. Really neat. And we see the transition here. El, apostles, elders. And he says, I'm not only this, but I'm also an elder. 
But some people say because of that, and this kind of is where we get off track again, he's an elder and he just told them what to do. That's not what this is saying. (laughs) He is in a different category than all other elders. There are a lot of elders, but there are no more apostles. So as an apostle, Peter is telling them what they should do. In reality, in, in how we operate today according to Scripture, there's, that doesn't take place. The Word of God is the authority, and the elders are simply the stewards of this. They don't get to make it up, determine it. They are simply to steward the sheep on what the instructions are. So some people could abuse that text. Verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Notice shepherd the flock among you. Elders, shepherds have a flock. You know, if there are elders at this specific church, what they would do is they would shepherd the flock here. They would not shepherd flocks in other churches, in other locations, no matter what that be. They are to shepherd the flock that's here. Also, this word shepherd, it's in verb form. It can be noun or verb. And here, here's some words that were heard in class today. If you didn't come to class, send me your email. I'll send you the audio, right? The word shepherd is in verb form. So it's an action. It's in the aorist tense, which means it's a point of action. It's in second person, which means the elders are the one doing the action. And it's in the imperative mood, which means what? This is a command. It's not a suggestion. So he says, shepherd the flock. So what does that mean? How do, how do you know how to shepherd? Well, we've already addressed it. How do you know? Have you, because we've looked at what sheep are. Everything that a sheep needs is what a shepherd is to do in taking care of that sheep. That does not make the sheep uh, like this sheep. If, if y'all watch this video and that sheep just ran and jumped back in that ditch and probably broke his head on that last one, that was a terrible fall. That sheep is still responsible. It doesn't mean shepherds. We are, uh, shepherds are responsible for the flock and they will give an account to God on how he handles them. But sheep carry responsibility in themselves. I'm not saying that's the case. You will give an account for what you do in your life. But this imagery is showing the necessity of shepherds in the family of God. The elder, like we have said, has many tasks, but the top of this task is feeding the sheep. Feeding the sheep. A shepherd's day, if you study the life of a shepherd, it's really interesting. His whole day works around feeding the sheep. And he protects them because as they're feeding, he's got to guard them from predators. He has to insulate them from predators, from harm, so that they can eat uh, eat their food and, and not be deceived and, and let astray. And when you look at a list of the qualifications of an elder or shepherd, an overseer, the, the, uh, the elder has only one skill, and that is teaching. He's got to be skilled in teaching. I would, I, would, I would probably say he would have to have the gift of teaching. 
All the other qualifications, as we, we start studying next week, they all have to deal with his character. He has to have one thing, gifting of, of teaching, okay? And then and the, all the other qualifications that we have have to deal with who he is as a man. And it's, it's really eye-opening. Also, another thing we don't think about a lot is these, these qualifications, and when you read them, they're like, wow, you know, those qualifications are the same for a deacon. <laughs> the only difference between an elder and a deacon, now they have different things they do, but a deacon is not, doesn't have to be apt to teach. But he's got to have the same qualifications. I've seen many, many men, and very sad, I don't say this, I say this with a sad heart. I've seen many, many men as deacons uh, commit adultery, live contrary to uh, what the qualifications are and still and still serve as deacon just because of maybe who they are in the community, maybe a business owner, maybe a man of high reputation. I don't know, but it's, it's sad. But elders are to feed. And I love this verse right here, verse 21, uh, 15 through 17. Don't turn there. I'll read it real quick. This is after Jesus died. He was buried. He was resurrected. Now he... Peter, he's like, I'm going back fishing. And the other guys are falling. We're going fishing. We're through with this. So Peter, I mean, Jesus approaches Peter. Verse 15, it says, And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord. You know I love you. He said to him, Christ said to him, Tend my lambs. He said, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. And many translations have the word feed here. Guess what? Same deal. Shepherd feeding, same deal. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know how, how I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So a pastor must feed God's sheep. And sheep have one food. The word of God. The word of God. It's so important to, for the shepherds to stay with the Bible. That's one of the reasons we see our culture, our world, is because the shepherds have left the sheep food. And what they've said is, this is what I'm supposed to give them, but what I have to say is much more important. That man does not need to be there. So they only have one food. That's the Word of God. You know, it's like Hosea like people, like, like priests. People will acquire teachers that will itch their ears. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, it says, For a time will come when, when they will not endure sound doctrine. Hey, it's coming. It's coming. These people here, they're going to get to a point where they're not going to endure, endure, endure what the Scripture says. They're not going to do it. But wanting to have their ears tickled, what they're going to do 
is they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to what they want to hear. And that's what's, that's what's happening. There's some people here today. Now, this building probably seats five or six hundred. I did a count today. It wasn't five or six hundred. But if we wanted to, we could fill this place up. How do we do that? Deviate from this and start teaching and preaching what everybody wants to hear. Most people. And what is that? Me. Talk about me. I want to hear more about me. And if we do that, turn up the volume a hair more and, and Blake change his music just a hair and get off a lot of this doctrinal singing we're doing, guess what? Maybe dim the lights there. We fill this place up. It's not going to happen. It says, shepherd the flock among you over... We're almost through. Shepherd the flock among you overseeing, not under compulsion, but willingly according to God. That word... Oversee is where we get the word episcopio. Does that ring a bell? For me it does as a hunter. I have a scope. I wish I had a pair of binoculars, but I've lost them. So when I'm in the deer stand, mainly at night, I got pretty good eyes during the day, but as it starts getting dark, every bush looks like a deer. You know, I don't know if y'all can relate to that. You know, so as I scan that field, I'm like, I can't see. So I pull my gun up, and if you, if you could observe me in the deer stand, you'll see me doing this. For about 20 minutes at deer 30, and I'm scoping that field, I'm overlooking, I'm seeing, I'm looking, I'm observing. That's what an under-shepherd does. Paul, what Paul, here's what Paul, you ready Paul? Here's what you do, I know. Paul's over there, he's got his sheep. Of course, Elizabeth does too, y'all all do this. You sit, you look, you observe, you're looking. You know how many sheep you have. You know your sheep by name. And if one is missing, you know it. You'll go get that sheep. And that's what a shepherd does. He, but he don't just do that. Paul don't just do that. He just don't go out there. And he, I've seen you work. Man, I've seen you working so many times out there, you and your sister. And uh, he don't just observe he gets down amongst the sheep. It's not a position where he rules, manages, oversees, does all these things. The Bartell family, they come down. What do they do? They cut the sheep. They feed the sheep. They heal their wounds. They protect the sheep. They carry the sheep. The Bartells, I hope y'all took a shower today. But, but the bar tails smell like sheep. You know why? You know why? You know I've been. That's, but that y'all do smell like sheep when you work with the sheep. Shepherds smell like sheep. It's not a position where they're not involved. Now they, they got major responsibility. And guess what? They do need deacons to help do some things. But that does not exempt them from getting down in the sheep. They have to. But don't do this under compulsion, but willingly, according to God. Compulsion means to force or constrain. Basically, that means you're not forced or told to do this. You're not pushed in that direction. You're not told to do it. That's what that word means. Verse Timothy 3 says, It's a trustworthy saying, If any man aspires the office of overseer, 
He desires a good work. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's very weighty. It's a big deal. But it's a good thing. At the same time, we understand, it says in James, do not many of you need to become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will reserve stricter judgment. It's a great thing. It's a weighty thing. It's a joyful thing. But there is a big responsibility in that thing. So much so that, that you're going to be judged more harshly when you do this. And there's a lot of people doing it that shouldn't do it. But it's a good thing. If you aspire to do that when it comes to elder, that's good. But you're under more judgment from the big shepherd. Because you're going to get an account for that. A true shepherd of God does it because of, of what the Holy Spirit has done in him. Remember, Acts 20, God's in this. It's really, ultimately, the Holy Spirit who starts that process with an elder working in the heart of his, in his heart. And this elder, if, if I would say you don't have to tell him to do it. He's eager to do it. To sum that up, basically you can say a man who aspires will not have any peace if he takes a path, any path away from that calling and desire. If a man feels called, he meets those qualifications, here's the deal, he can't do anything else. He can't do it. You know, I got a good friend, Chase Cartmel. Guess what? He couldn't, he loves the Word of God and he wants to pursue it. You know, not only he wants to pursue it vocation, that's a great thing. We'll, we'll see that here. It comes up in our next verse. Don't do it for a dishonest gain, but with eagerness. In other words, it's not about the money. You don't become a, uh, a pastor for the money. False teachers, that's their number one. They got a lot of issues. First thing on their chart, it always goes back in some sense to money, power, but it's mainly money. You don't become an elder for financial reasons. You're not looking for a career with nice pay and a great benefit package. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Elders who lead well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor at preaching the word and teaching. For the scripture says, You should not muzzle the ox while it is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of wages. Okay? So a elder pastor, it's fine that they receive money. That's fine. That's great. Matter of fact, they do it for a living. They should say, receive money. And that's, that's the direction that we're moving to here as a church. As we grow, we want to move to we have uh, one of the elders be the main elder preaching every week. And I say that because, you know, my schedule, you know, I've got three jobs. I can't, I couldn't do it. It takes 15, 20 hours a week to do a sermon. May not sound like it, but it does. I know Blake, he's on the road quite a bit. John's got a very demanding job. It takes a, a lot of time and work and preparation to do it. And so we want to eventually work in that direction of, of having that. It says not domineering over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. I hope you see the contrast here. Don't do it this way. But do it this way. This is the wrong way. This is the right way. Apostles are human. Elders are human. And we're going to struggle with sin. Elders struggle with sin. I don't care how godly you are. 
You can do all the things you're supposed to, but you're going to, you're going to struggle with sin. The apostles struggled with sin. The apostles struggled with position. And you have to guard yourself. You know, we see even at the Lord's Supper, you, you, or in the lives of two of the specific disciples, apostles, they wanted to know in this kingdom, we talked about the kingdom in class today. If you hadn't come to class, come to class. Talked about the kingdom today. Jesus, in this kingdom, where am I going to sit at? I want to sit by you. I want to sit right, right here by you. My brother, he wants to sit on the other side of the kingdom. And then they go get their mama. Mama, will you go talk to Jesus and see if, see if we can sit on this side of the kingdom? No. So there you have to guard yourself in those situations. So that's in uh, John. I'm not going to read it for sake of time. John 13, 12 through 17. Elders, pastors, shepherd, they lead how? They lead by example. They lead by example. So when you, when you're looking for elders, what you look at is qualifications and they're massive. But you're looking at their life. They lead by example. First Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers, set the believers an example in speech, in what you say, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So this isn't an office of like a king who would dictate. This is an office where men steward God's instruction. He leads by example. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter does not call on elders to sacrifice with no thought of reward. He reminds them that their labor for others will have great reward and will bring remarkable joy. So what do we know? At this point in Titus, what do we know? Titus, I'm going to leave you here. My son in the faith. There's a lot of churches in, on Crete. I'm going to leave you here and you got to straighten some stuff out. There's some things that I started and other people have started. They need to be straightened up and made right in accordance to what we say. Also, Titus, you need to appoint elders under shepherds because there, there's people rising up Inside the church are definitely not qualified and they're teaching things contrary to, to what we said. They have to be silenced. So go and appoint men in these churches that will shepherd my flock. The flock that was allotted to them. That's what he's to do.